What's up, baby? Oh, look at you and your fucking Nashville snazzy digs. My, my Nashville snaggy digs. Oh, it's cold here, man. I'm getting the gear off. Hot you gear it off and it's cold. It's not the way it works, Troy. <laughs> I mean, I just went for a walk outside, so that's why I'm all hot now. So, um, it's it's lovely weather. Hi, Ruby. Hey, hey Ruby. 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 Oh, welcome to another Guitar Wake episode, Sir Bruce. All right, man. Welcome, Troy. Man, here we are. Here we are. Here we go. The Dumble stories continue. Explain before we bring him on. Explain who we have today. We have Chris Fleming today, and and according to Dumbleites, he's like one of the top two you have to have, and we're so glad to get him. Um, he worked. I always heard about him from Richard McDonald because you know I knew, and Richard was the vice president or president of Fender Products. Right. And how, how Chris was the genius behind the entire custom shop, the innovations, oh, all wow. all of that. He's like. The guy, I really don't know much about him before that, and I'm hoping he'll tell us. But he's a guy who is intimately friendly with Dumble uh, and really understands everything. So I'm so glad that he's consented to be part of this uh, montage of stories to, you know, recreate what might have happened had the man himself come on the show. Well, I'm glad we've finally got someone who understands everything. Yeah, really, man. You know what I mean? I, other, than my wife, us, other than my wife, you mean. This is 253 shows, and we finally get the guest on that understands everything. This is fantastic. I'm super right. excited. Well, you know, it, it takes work, Troy. I should not, you know. <laughs> Obviously, work I wasn't prepared to do. Ladies and gentlemen, let's bring the man in himself. Here he comes. Boom, he's connecting. He's connecting. He's Christopher. Oh, hey, Chris. Can you hear us? I don't know. <laughs> oh, his <laughs> iPhone has not connected to audio, it said. He will. Hey. He's, he's there. He's probably thinking, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Right, right. <laughs> he's like, hello. I show you. Ah, you're connected. We're here. How are you? Chris? There we are. Howdy. How are you guys doing? Nice Good. to meet you person. Is it Chris or Christopher? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my my full name's Christopher, but uh, Chris is what most people call me. Chris, well, man, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. This is this is super cool. Obviously, like, not the greatest of situations, but well, no, but it's it's nice to do something. You know, you know, most of us know. Yeah, you, know, you couldn't really talk much about your friendship with Alexander, or he'd dump you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was very, he was very, he liked to keep things, you know, on the mystical side. So I think uh, he achieved that. He did. But do, do you, I mean, you had, we, we had a little conversation and you had intimated that it was not, I mean, you felt that he kind of liked it, that he cultivated that as sort of a thing. I mean, it wasn't just his, perhaps his proclivities or strangenesses. There was also a little bit of uh, a person yeah. who enjoyed that. 
I think so. He was, he was in, in many ways, he was kind of, uh, kind of dramatic, you know, I mean, uh, he, he was, he was such an interesting guy. I mean, he was very, uh, Shakespearean. He, he was very, he, he had lots of elocution when he wrote you letters or emails. They were, they were like, holy cow, where'd you get all those words, dude? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a hilarious guy. I mean, he really was. Yeah. Uh, but I think he liked to foster the, the, uh, the unobtainium sort of thing. And that, that, uh, of course he, he sort of hated being taken advantage of in his mind by other people stealing his ideas or, I mean, he saw it that way. And, uh, you know, I, I totally get where he came from, but, uh, uh, you know, many of us didn't really see it like that. It was kind of like, you know, copying somebody is the greatest form of, uh, flattery, you know, yes, exactly. And, and obviously <laughs> there's a whole industry surrounding what Alexander started, but, uh, but he was he was very he was a funny guy. He I, I think he did foster it to some degree. He was he was very careful about who we talked to or or who he didn't talk to or you know I, I have lots of stories about friends of mine that were friends of his that aren't weren't friends of his after a while and so <laughs> on. You know. Yeah, hey, Chris, that's, that's Chris very famous. It's kind of like this. You know, that's where the soup Nazi. You know. Uh, <laughs> comes in because it's like all of a sudden in one moment no soup for you you know yeah boom, you're yep. off you know yep it and, would be that way and yeah. uh so christopher tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up knowing dumble well um well i I played guitar since i was a little kid always loved guitar and and uh did other things until my late 30s and decided you know, I, I was doing picture framing of all things and I was pretty good at it and everything, but I got bored and I thought, you know, I really set myself this question. If I could do whatever I wanted to do when I woke up in the morning, what would it be? Right. Took me a few months and I realized one day I, I just get up, go out into the garage and mess around with guitars all day. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, okay. So I put myself on a path to, to, uh, learn how to make guitars. You know, I played them since I was, I was about eight when I started playing guitar and uh, I taught myself and I finally got a job at a real busy shop in Long Beach, California. And then uh, I had my own little shop in Torrance, California. And then uh, I was broke and I had a buddy at the Fender custom shop. I called up and talked to John Page then he left, and then I talked to my buddy again, and finally I got a job at Fender. So I started building guitars in my my mid thirties. So I was pretty late to the game, right? But I also had a really good friend in in Lawndale, California, Jim Foot, who you guys might have heard of him. Him, he has a shop called Music Works, and a couple of his guys that worked for him ended up being Robin. One of them was Robin Ford's uh tech for many years and the other and that was jeff gosh i can't remember his last name the other one was uh alex alvarez who's lenny kravitz main guy yeah and so anyway through through that shop i met alexander probably 98 99 something like that 
And uh, shortly after that, I got a job at Fender. And I remember the first time I met Alexander, I, I had made a couple of uh, tweed twin amps, low-powered twin amps for a couple of blues guys in the area. Henry Carvajal had one and another guy, another guy bought one. Anyway, uh, Jim called me and said, hey, you know, Alexander's coming down here. You want to meet him? I said, hell yeah. I said, well, bring your amp and show it to him. I said, well, oh, really? He said, yeah, it's okay. So <laughs> I brought this Tweed Twin down, and Alexander was very kind. He was very generous. He looked at it, and he goes, you know, not too bad. I think I need to show you how to solder right, but it's, it's not too bad. <laughs> and I said, really? It's like, yeah, it's, it's okay, you know. And, uh, and that kind of started our friendship. And uh, then when I started with Fender, of course, I was making I was making guitars before that, and uh, once I started with Fender, you know he loved Fender. He loved Leo, and he loved guitars, obviously, and uh, Fender amps. And we got to know each other pretty well. And and then he had to move from the Pagoda. You know, he was living. Gosh, I remember going there. It was like a haunted house or something. That place. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, have either did you either of you guys go to the pagoda? Uh, no, I, I the first time I saw was the old hacienda, you know. Um, oh, in uh, Sunland. Yeah, that's the first time yeah. I met him. But tell us about the pagoda, where it was, what the story is about that. Sure, the pagoda was. Uh, it's it's they probably tore it down. I mean, it was really, it was bad. It was decrepit, and he'd lived there, I think, for maybe 10, 12, 15 years. And it was on the property that Jackson Brown's family owned. Uh, and right behind that was the Abbey. So there, it was this property that had the pagoda, which was, a, I, I think, one of Jackson's ancestors, maybe his grandfather or somebody built, built that. And he allowed Alexander to live there, right? And uh, so he lived there a long time. And Alexander was, was kind of a pack rat. I mean, he... He had an amazing assortment of stuff. I, I remember he, I, I, I helped him move from the Pagoda to Sunland. Uh, I, oh, wow. I, I think, yeah, I think the, the story was that he had to get out of there because I think they were going to condemn it or Jackson had to do something with the property. I, I don't know exactly what, but he had to leave. And it had, had to happen pretty quick. And so I'd met him a few months before, a year before, something like that. And I volunteered to help. That was interesting. <laughs> and so uh, I spent about two weeks. We, we rented big trucks and just hauled all his shit to uh, uh, from the pagoda was in um, what's that area called? It's kind of in between the valley and uh, L.A. Um, not too far from Glendale. I'm is trying it, to. Oh, uh, it off Eagle Rock. Then? It was Eagle an Eagle Rock. Rock. Off right the, off 110 freeway there yes right off the 110 park. up up the highland, hill highland park area yep. maybe? yeah okay i think it was i think it was actually eagle rock okay uh, or right around in that area but uh i never saw the abbey i think that was pretty nice i think they used it for rehearsals or filming and stuff but the pagoda was like it was a three-story building that was just like decrepit and the bottom floor was was where all of his storage stuff was. And he, I mean, he had, gosh, he had an amazing amount of stuff. Then the middle floor, you had to go up these really, it was like built in the 
early 20s, maybe even the late 1800s. It, it was really old and it had real steep steps. And as you know, Alexander was a big guy. It was something to watch him walk up those steps. And, <laughs> and then in the middle was uh, kind of a living room and a kitchen. And then up above another kind of a loft was where his bedroom was, you know. So we spent a lot of time down in the in the basement. That's kind of where he, he did his stuff. And uh, he hid all his important things up in cubbies in the kitchen. Uh, and I, I remember we were getting ready to, to do the last move. We've moved all the big heavy stuff. I mean, he had, he had milk, plastic milk crates filled with uh, transformers. I mean, these things were 200 pounds, you know, and we'd take a couple of us to get them into the truck. And, ah. But I remember the last thing we moved, he said, he said, okay, you're going to take this in your car and I'm going to take this in my car. And so I got the, the, the purple, I think it belonged to Paul Allen. It was the purple uh, red house amp that Hendrix used, right? That he was, that he was fixing for Paul Allen or something. He goes, you take that. Now come up here. And he got his gold out, out of his hiding place and his guns out of his hiding place. And he took his golden guns in his truck, and I, I, I took the, you know, Red House uh, amp and a couple other things that were really expensive or worth a lot. And we kind of followed each other up to Sunland and took him up to his new house. And he had three 20 by 30 uh, storage places in a U-Haul not too far from his house that were just full of vintage wow. parts you know, transformers, amps, guitar parts, just unbelievable. He, I mean, he saved everything for 60, 70 years, you know, unbelievable. When he was at the Pagoda, he had a couple of storage spaces. He did. And yeah, we so cleared all those. Out. Sunland, did you empty them and bring it all to Sunland? Or did you? We leave? did. Are they no, there? he took okay. everything. No, he, he took everything. And from what I hear, I, I don't know. You know, exactly, because Alexander and I just talked through uh, email the last last six or eight months. And, and we hadn't I hadn't seen him for quite a while because of COVID and all the other stuff, you know. But he he moved all of his stuff from Sunland then up into to Turlock. And his buddy, uh, Matt, who was a customer and a friend, I think offered him a house there. And, and so he moved up there. And from what Drew, Drew Berlin said, uh, he was really happy. He said he was the most organized ever in his life. And he was, he was really happy about being up there. Uh, Matt's family was there. He had his grandkids and stuff. So there were a lot of people around and he, uh, apparently he really enjoyed it. So yeah. Drew told me that his last few months were really nice for him. So oh, that made me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so we had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I guess I, I've known Alexander for at least I'm 23, 24 years, something like that. And the first 13 to 15 years, I spent a lot of time up there with him. We, you know, he, as you know, he was off the grid, right? He uh, didn't have a credit card, didn't have a bank account. I, I'm assuming he probably had a social security number, but he hadn't used it for like 30 years or something, you know. So, so he was, a question for you here. 
when when the Sunland thing happened, how did he get a lease? Because he didn't buy that house; he rented it. No, he did. Uh, did Carlos he... Santana rented it for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That was part of their deal for Carlos's, uh, you know, for his whatever he got overdrive specials, or I, I think it was an overdrive that Alexander made for him, or or he bought one and Alexander fixed it up for him or something. But yeah. Actually, you know, I have a lot of good stories. I gave a lot of guitars because I was working at Fender and I was making stuff at home and all that. So Alexander and I would trade stuff, but not trade really. I'd give him something and he'd give me something. And, you know, we just had a lot of fun with it. He liked the way I played. I mean, I'm not a great player, but I play okay. But he enjoyed the way I played and he liked me and I liked him. And so we just hang out and play guitars and, I got to play on a bunch of amps. I, I my favorite amp that I played on of his was his uh, his first. It was I, I think it was like a prototype. It was his first overdrive special, and it was in a, like a little crate. It looked kind of like a milk box crate, you know. And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, I made that, and I brought it into a studio in you know Studio City or LA, someplace." And I said, "Hey guys, check this out. This is the future." And they said, "You're out of your mind." You know, that's it's all overdriven. It sounds terrible, <laughs> you know, but it was great. It was really it was okay. So in the music room, he called it, which was the living room of Sunday, yes, right. Yeah, you're sitting on the couch, which is the yep. only place to sit because there's so much shit. Yep, like that. Yeah, right there on the wall to your left was an overdrive <laughs> special. Is that's that, the one. That's the one. We get a little. It looked like it was in a little box. It's the best amp I've ever played through. Me too. Me too. <laughs> well, I told Alexander, you know, we're talking about it, and he, he modified a bunch of amps for me. We had a lot of fun, and he taught me how to do a lot of stuff, you know, yeah. which it's like he'd laugh at me, you know. He'd like, son, you don't know shit. And, and I'm <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. I don't. <laughs> but I, we had so much fun. Uh, but, yeah, that was my favorite amp. And I said, you know, Alexander, if you ever – ever make an underdrive special i want the first one and he thought that was pretty funny because <laughs> i'm you know those are those amps those amps are for specific kind of players right as you know i mean he he voiced every amp he made for anybody for that guy you know and uh those those amps are for you know guys that don't play like me i'm i'm kind of a you know, I play blues and, and some rock, but I, I'm also a fingerstyle player and I like country music and all that. And those aren't the kind of amps that would work for me, but they sure work for other people, obviously, you know. Well, you know, but obviously I'm not one of those kind of players either. I mean, I don't know what you know about me, but I'm a straight ahead jazz You're guy. You're a jazz guy, right, yeah. But, but, but still. If you don't take that amp to where it's overdriving, and you just let it sing. It's, oh, so I, I swear to God, it was like the best amp I ever heard. Yeah, you know, but I was sitting in the, I was sitting in the, in the well, the music room, living room, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. and I'm like three feet from it, and I'm not driving the thing. You know, it's no. just barely on, and it sounded so rich. It, sound, and, it sounds glorious. And it, yeah, it, it, it had a high end that didn't hurt you didn't hurt your ears you yep. know what i mean it was still bright but it wasn't it was fat bright it wasn't yeah harsh bright it's know? hard to it's really hard to understand 
you know, I, I mean, there's so much, you know, myth and all the stuff about Alexander's work, but it's hard to understand unless you spend time with one of his amps and he made it for you or he tweaks something for you. There's no way you can understand it. Uh, I mean, you listen to guys, all the famous guys, Robin and, you know, Larry Carlton, all those guys, they, they have their touch and their style, but you know, unless, unless you play through one of his amps and, uh, you just don't understand. I mean, there's no way you can understand. And a lot of guys, I've, I've read, you know, all the nonsense about all oh, these. I played an overdrive special and it sucked. Well, yeah, right. I'm thinking, well, dude, I think you suck. <laughs> Probably. Because, <laughs> you know, he really made, he, he really cared about the player. He cared about the music. And he just, I mean, he tweaked several amps for me, and they were fabulous. But I'm guessing somebody else who played a different way than me, it wouldn't be so great, you know. So, whatever. And My main what you're paying, then you start to say, well, per penny, you know, like you said, you can do that at the store, you know. Well, per penny, this is this, and this is this, you know. Yeah. Has nothing to do with money. I mean, it yeah. it did because Alexander. I mean. Some of those amps that are selling for eighty or a hundred thousand dollars, he charged fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, and and it's it's a sh and rightfully so, it pissed him off. You know, it's like, dude, I sold you that thing for you know. He always felt that those were his babies; they were his amps. He'd sell them to you, but they were his. You right. know, right. <laughs> he made and that I, very clear. Yeah, he, and I, I totally it. got it. When you bought got, it, you, know, you had to have, he had to fix it. No one else could fix it. You that's right. You couldn't open up the chassis and show anybody anything. That's right. a little weird about you're playing it for other people in a yeah. closed environment. You didn't mind you're playing it out in the open, but you know what I mean? It's like, there yeah. are things that you, you know, and if you sell it, sell it back to me. I'll get it to somebody who yep. is the right person for it, you know? No, yeah, I mean, you're right. it was like they were his babies. You know? They were. I mean, well, he he spent an inordinate. That's I just said that wrong. Inordinate amount of time on everything he worked on. I mean, I bought this. Uh, uh, it was a uh, 1956 Tremolux, right? Right, right at the period where it went from the small box to the big box, but it hadn't gone into the the later one from the 58, 59, where they got more rockish. And I bought it and it wasn't working. So I took it over and I said, hey, Alexander, look what I got. You know, like I paid, I don't know, 1500 bucks for it. And he goes, oh, wow, look at this. So we took it apart. He had original parts. He, he put it in. He fixed it. He goes, oh, you know, this will be a little better. He got this. He put it in and... I swear to God, it's it's the best tweed amp I've ever heard in my life, wow. you know. And he just it took him a couple hours. We were hanging out. He was tweaking it and this and that. And it it just it's. I ended up giving it to a buddy of mine in Germany. He still has it, and it's it's probably, to my mind, the best the best tweed amp from the mid to late fifties that I've ever heard. It's just wow. unbelievable unbelievable he just knew i mean he knew he knew what would work he he just had this innate sense of what 
what the values had to be, what the readings had to be, where it needed to be in the circuit. He just, and I said, dude, how do you do that? And he goes, oh, you know. <laughs> so he wasn't sharing any of no. the secrets? No, I mean, but he wasn't, uh, he was cool. He'd let me see. I mean, he never hid anything from me. It's because he knew. It's because he knew he was way smarter than most people. He was definitely way smarter than me when it came to that. Almost <laughs> It was like intuitive knowledge rather it than was. intellectual it, knowledge. A well, lot of it was intuitive, but it was totally, he was a very scientific guy. It was totally yeah. connected to his understanding of electronics and physics and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to the sound part of it, it was very intuitive. He knew, he knew how to change a value a little bit here or there, what the, the, the makeup of the, of the part was, you know, whatever the capacitor or resistor or, or whatever it was, he, he just knew how to, you know, find the right part for the right part of the circuit to do what he wanted it to do to make the best sound, you know? And it was, it was uncanny. I, I mean, I'm, I've made a lot of amps. I, for fun, you know, I'm not a real, I'm not, an amp builder or electronics guy or anything i just enjoy it that's my hobby you know and it was just so fun to hang out with him he i was like his padawan you know i'd sit there and watch what he was doing and and <laughs> I, you've been to his house so you know stuff was piled everywhere all through the house and it wasn't quite so bad that there were like rabbit trails but it was still it was pretty compact and he, it was Almost like that, though. Almost. I mean, you know. by the end, by the end, because I didn't know him until towards the end before he left Sunland, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was well, it was getting that way. I mean, you yeah. know, it was it was like a pack rat thing. Whereas instead of it was like old newspapers and crap, it was, it was electronics, like yeah. Arts and yeah, amps and, and guitars and yeah, speakers. Yeah. And, he yeah. was funny. I I remember going into his. I, I didn't go into his bedroom much i mean but one time he said hey come on let's we need to get this went in his bedroom and all of the walls in his bedroom he had like a, a like a single bed that i don't know how the hell he fit on because he was a big guy you know and single bed and all the walls the closet everything was covered with guitar cases i mean he <laughs> must have had must have had 50 guitars in there you know i'm like dude <laughs> <laughs> He was just hilarious. Did and you and you'd, go, you'd go into the bathroom, and it was his main bathroom for guests was filled with speakers. I mean, the shower, the sh everywhere was speakers, you know, in boxes. It's like, fuck, dude. But, you know, I mean, that we were doing great, you know, and like, of course, I'd heard all the like, he's tweaky, you don't, don't get him pissed off or anything, you know, and, you know, oh. I'd been warned about that, you know, I had new friends and whatever. And, yeah, and I'm over there and I'm playing my guitar and, and you know he loved to hang. I mean, you go over oh, there. Oh, he does. Yeah, go he loved music. Out. He loved players. And like you're there at five o'clock still. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're yeah. you know and you know okay. And he's giving me you know something to drink and I'm like I got to go to the bathroom. You know finally it's like I said Alexander, uh, wh where's the bathroom? I, I got to go to the bathroom. And the look he gave me was like. Uh-oh, you know, like I felt like I'd crossed the line. And like I, I even said to him, I said, look, I'll go outside if you want. 
you know, and I mean, yeah. just point me in the direction you want me to, you know, just tell me where. And he goes like, well, you know, because I'd heard about people with their amps bringing germs over and shit like that. You know, you hear these stories, which some may be true, but most are probably mythology. Anyways, and uh, he kind of went like, finally, like, I could see him thinking about it. Like, am I going to leave this guy in my bathroom or maybe I'll just send him outside, which I'm totally cool with. I'm a cowboy. Yeah. You know, I'll pee on a tree. I don't give a fuck. And um, he let me go in the bathroom. And it's ex exactly, it's the speaker room. Yeah, speaker room. There, and the whole thing was to get to the bathroom, yep. kind of do this like circuit. Yep. It was almost like one of those Egyptian mazes or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I got to the toilet, did my thing, and came out. And, you know, he wore, it took a while for him to even warm up after that. Like, I mean, yeah. I guess he kind of thought that I would judge him or something. I don't know what it, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't like. Who knows? Yeah. He was funny that way. I mean, he he didn't he didn't want anyone in his place except except somebody he knew and trust. Right? He <clears throat> like I, I heard uh, Drew was telling me that you know at the new place he was at it was really nice and and uh, uh, um, Brad had had his uh, had had a housekeeper come in and clean up for him. You know, and he fucking hated it. <laughs> he, he was a he hated when anybody had to come out for the cable or whatever, because he was afraid they were going to see his shit and steal from him. Or he was pretty paranoid about stuff. He, he was very secretive about his stuff. And I, I can understand why, because I'm guessing he has, you know, several million dollars worth of, of equipment, gear, you know, amps, guitars. I mean, he, I don't blame him. He he had lots of stuff in there that people would like to steal from him. So he was very very careful about who he let into his into his inner sanctum. You know. It, do you know, Chris? Do you know who's looking after all that stuff now, or is it just going to all? Well, no. I I believe Drew Drew Berlin was he was really really close to Alexander for probably 30 years and he helped alexander like the time i helped him move i i i uh you know i've known drew a long time you know drew berlin's the burst brother guy and you know i'm sure you know who he is and he was friends with alexander way before any of us knew him and was was kind of instrumental in helping him navigate the world after alex after the 80s and 90s helped him sell stuff, helped introduce him to artists and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, as far as I know, Drew is his uh, executor. I knew Alexander trusted Drew, you know, implicitly. And, uh, and, you know, he helped take care of me, took him to, took him to doctor appointments and, you know, all that. I mean, same thing with me for, for the period of time that I was really the closest time i was with alexander because of the fact that he didn't he didn't have a bank account or credit cards he wanted to stay off the grid he wanted to deal in gold you know <laughs> he, i remember a buddy, buddy of mine who uh george berkmeyer's his name really good guy in germany one of my best friends i uh, introduced him to alexander and they hit it off really like you know dumble is a german name he was he was, uh, I guess, of German descent, and he thought that was real fun. He talked with my buddy about, you know, in German and called him Georg 
and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, George ended up getting a couple of ants from Alexander. Alexander made for him, and uh, he had to pay for them in Kruger ants. <laughs> he said, okay, you need to send me, you know, X amount of Kruger ants. And what are they? Gold coins from, from uh, Switzerland, I think. South, or South Africa, I thought. They? You're right, South Africa. Well, wow. he loved gold, and he liked coins, too. So, well, I, like I told you the story, when we moved from his old place to his new place back in, that must have been, I don't know, 2001 or two, he had, he had like a sack of gold <laughs> and guns and a couple of guns, right? The interesting thing about Alexander was he was very, you'd never know it unless you got to know him well and he talked, he actually gave me a, uh, uh, translation of the Bible that was real specific that he really liked. He was very spiritual and very religious in a lot of ways, which which you would not think, you know, because he was a pretty, you know, he didn't talk about that much, but he was very spiritual. He was also very conservative. I mean, ex extremely conservative. You know, uh, he he, and which is so funny because I'm totally the opposite i'm really you know liberal and uh yep. but that never entered into our relationship because i respected how he thought and he apparently didn't care about how i thought or respected how i thought and uh you know we never had any kind of philosophical problems because i i think on the spectrum of spirituality or or you know the spectrum of liberal or conservative i think if you go really far in either way you end up back in the middle anyway right <laughs> i think you're right and that's there's also that's how it was for us you know we, he was really right and i was really left and it meant we were so far on either side that we met in the middle and what we cared about was music and sound and and sure. you know having fun and that's what that was yeah. the most important part of our relationship. You know, so much in there. I mean, first of all, spectrum, defer that word. You know, I can't help but think that he might have been what people would call slightly yeah. on the spectrum. You know, I, I mean more than slightly. Whatever. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? He had he had the hyper intelligence, he, he did social uh a yep. little bit of a of social, in, you know, just uncomfortable, you know, lack of comfort yep. in the social world. Um, and, of course, a lot of that could have been brought on by his physical manifestation. Yep. I do yep. know that um, he loved women and treated oh. them so well. I do also know he loved kids and treated he did. them so well. He did. And I do know inside of that i think shows this sort of deep respect for things he respected you know so like someone yep. like for me when we whenever politics would kind of come up mm -hmm. it was pretty obvious that we didn't agree with each other yeah it didn't matter i mean he respected yeah. me i respected him and yep. we chose you know i mean it wasn't like something that 
we were like in search of tone, in search of sound, in search of yep. experience. And we were playing music together and we were yep. talking about music and there was so much more to do that this was just in a, sun, uh, a little like kind of ancillary noise that we didn't totally deal with. That's uh, exactly right. I mean, we never discussed politics. You know, I, I, I gleaned after many years his leanings but you know it never entered into our relationship and you're so right about children and women i i brought my daughter over to meet him once when she was gosh she was pretty young she's 30 now but i think she was maybe 11 or 12 or something right. and he was so sweet i mean he was so sweet to her and 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 he, he indeed loved women i mean he go he said you know women are the only people that could do what I do, you know, in electronics, but they come over here, man, I always end up in the sack with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. I'm glad he was getting some. Good one, Dumble. Uh, he, he loved women. Actually, I have an amp. He, he made a circuit board for me. I, you know, I came over one time and he goes, Hey, I made something for you. And I said, what, what's that? He goes, this is a circuit board and you can make uh, an amp out of it. It's, it's a girlfriend app. And I said, what the hell's that? He goes, well, back in the 70s in Santa Cruz, or he goes, I had a girlfriend, and she, she was a musician, a guitar player, and she wanted an amp. And so I made this circuit board for her. I made an amp for her. It's called the Girlfriend Amp. And he gave me the circuit board, and I, you know, I built it out, and I brought it to him, and he goes, oh, you dumbass. This should go here, and that should go there. So I, I fixed it. I still have it. It's a wonderful sounding amp. In fact, I pulled it out before Alexander passed away a couple of weeks ago and plugged it in. And it's like, holy shit, this thing's really good. <laughs> anyway, he called it his girlfriend app. I and love it's, it. It's all kinds of uh, random parts, you know. That it's not like all the fancy sprigs and this and that. It's just random stuff that he put together. And it's amazing, you know. It's wow. amazing. Chris, did he, did he use, like, when he was building amps, um, what do you think, besides just the obvious that it was Dumble and he had extraordinary ears and that, what do you think were some of the components that went into building these amps that made him so special? Was he getting the high-quality stuff and everything was hands-on or what, what, was, what was going on in no. the amp? You know, in my experience, watching him do what he did, he just... He'd find components. They didn't have to be expensive or high quality or, you know, super special or super, super expensive. He'd, he'd find something that had the right parameters because he, he'd measure every, every component. He'd put it on his he had an oscilloscope. He, had, he, he loved technology. He had all kinds of meters and this and that. And he, he used to try and show me, and I was like an idiot child, you know. It's like, ah, okay, whatever. But he'd find the right part. So it could be a – I read a story on, on uh, uh, Facebook about the Eric Johnson thing where Eric didn't quite like what he heard when Alexander showed him his amp. And so Alexander sent somebody down to Radio Shack to get a few things. And he came back, and he put those Radio Shack parts in. and it worked, right? So he just knew, he knew what the parts had to, what, what their properties were for wherever they were in the circuit. And if he found one that worked right, 
or he liked, he'd use that. And so I, I think a lot of the stuff he used was high quality. A lot of it was medium. Some of it was old stuff that he'd find. If it had the right parameters for what he thought was going to work right in the amp, he'd, he'd use it. And and it works. <laughs> I mean, wow. it's, it, was, it was surprising I, how how he'd track down a problem or or find where the issue was with what wasn't what was not making the sound quite right he'd he'd find if i mean he just knew where to go to find the the trail of you know signal to to find where the pinch point was or where something had to be changed he he was just brilliant at that and i'm sure that's because he'd been doing it for 40 or 50 years you know yeah, yeah. he started doing that stuff when he was a kid he he made stuff he told me about you know when he was in bakersfield making uh heath kits and doing all kinds of that stuff he just always loved that and he had a knack for it you know wow did he did he ever have um like other amp guys that he would like beside yourself, talk with and go back and forth with? Or was there always always no. a competition or you felt threatened that someone was going to steal his ideas? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't think he felt threatened. He felt assaulted, right? <laughs> he was, he felt like people ripped him off. Uh, he, he was, he wanted to protect his technology, he'd call it, right? He, right. he, he had certain ways of doing things and he really wanted to, he, you know, he came up with all this stuff himself and, you know, you see all that stuff. Well, I saw really hateful things. Somebody, I don't think they meant it to be hateful, but they said, yeah, you know, it's going to be open casket, but it'll be covered with uh, goop, you know, come on. That is kind of funny. Come it on. Is funny. <laughs> It's, it's pretty hard, but it's funny. That is funny, you know. I mean, I, I'm kind of embarrassed I hadn't thought of that, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, is, it is funny, yeah. But it's so disrespectful. I know, it is. It is. But it's still funny, you know what I mean? Well, and he did that. He did that for a few reasons. I mean, he did it to cover up his stuff. But it also helped insulate things, kept things where they should be. And One thing I really want to say about Alexander's amp work was that he was the most meticulous. I remember he just berate me for doing bad solder joints, or he he would he would take every single wire, he'd tin it, he'd he'd make sure it it had full physical contact, mechanical contact to each terminal or wherever it was going, and he'd make sure it was perfectly soldered. And I mean, you know, in, in any amp. His amps were very complicated, but even in a deluxe reverb or a tweed, that that takes hours and it takes total concentration. And he was he was just he said, you know, if you don't do everyone perfect, it's going to break down. Somebody's some dude's going to be playing on stage and it's going to fart out. And it's I just can't do that. You know, I just can't. He was he was OCD with that kind of stuff. Right. You know? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, it was. It was his speed dressing, his his how he did how he did every kind of lead or everything in any amp was just incredibly ridiculous. I I mean, watching him do it just drove me crazy because I'm 
<laughs> I think the cloud, right? He thought totally, perfectly linear. He was very, very scientific. Wow. And, but on the other hand, he was also very spiritual and, and very non-scientific in many ways, you know? So he was, uh, he was one of a kind. He was really quite a guy. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I love that guy. I loved him so much. He was so funny and so, you know, he could, he could be real mean sometimes. He, a couple times he, he was like, you know, that's bullshit. Shut the fuck up. Or, you know, he, he could be really mean. Yeah. But, but I, I would always go, eh, I, okay. <laughs> you know, cause I loved him. He was, and he was just the most warm hearted, funny, smart, articulate person I think I've ever known, really. Wow. Yeah. He was, he was would, amazing. I would say the exact, those are all the same words I use. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I can totally corroborate, you know, as eccentric as he was. He was. But, and, 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 you know, and, yeah, I mean, I've known a lot of really smart people. I'm lucky. I've known a lot of really smart people in my life. And they all. Oh, thanks, Chris. They, including <laughs> Troy, and um, <laughs> all have this impatience with the world around them. You know, they do. imagine what it's like to be that kind of person. Most of them have far more destructive habits than Alexander did. No, and when I think of the people on that, you know, kind of level, yeah, and and well, he um, was he was not that he was way. He was sweet and generous. Yeah. But he also, he did not suffer a fool. Well. In any way, shape, or form. He he just, if you're a fool, you're gone, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would not suffer a fool. But yeah. at the same time, he loved children. He loved dogs. He loved animals. He loved nature. He, he, he loved firefighters. I mean, he, he was a funny guy. I mean. He, he had this whole spectrum of stuff that was important to him uh, that, you know, I, I think the main thing is that I'd like people who never knew him and who judge him on hearsay and bullshit, you know, in this, in this day and age of, of, you know, the Internet and all that, that he was a complete human being. He was, he was a very complex yet simple human being he was he had simple desires and tastes but he could be as complex as as any genius you could ever know he was just amazing he was an amazing guy wow and the main thing was he was just fun to hang out with we'd you know i knew if i went over to his house i'd sit out in front of it for maybe an hour till he got ready you know whatever whatever it was he did to get ready you know and, uh, and then I, I have to, I might be there a day. I might be there two days. You never know. Might be there for 12 hours, might be there for six hours, depending on what was going on. But, you know, I just, it was kind of like a, uh, like a Disneyland ride, you know, you just go and you go with it. Right. <laughs> and it was, it was fabulous. We had, he and I had so much fun together. He was, you know, my my daughter just loves him. She was so 
sad when he passed away and my my friends i introduced him to to a lot of people i introduced him to larry thomas i introduced him to or i introduced dave cobb to him uh i introduced lots of people who i thought would be able to appreciate him you know mm-hmm. yeah and he could he could appreciate and could do things for and uh uh we were all of his friends were very protective of him. You know, we didn't want to, we really didn't want to, you know, lead anybody to him who would hurt him or, or be an asshole or was just there. Take advantage. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of people, money, I want an amp. I want this. I want that. It's like, "Mm." it seems to be a running theme, Chris, with everyone we've talked, talked to about Dumble is just how much he was loved and oh, definitely well, the perspective that we're getting the us that didn't didn't get to meet him unfortunately is how big of a character he was and how generous and loving he was which is oh, so awesome to hear and it's so great to hear he in the last few months of his life he was really happy and stuff Did yeah you, that, that made me feel good yeah when we we talked to robin um what we when we first had robin ford on the show we talked to him about trying to get Dumble on the show. And he was obviously like, oh, you know, good luck. I've been trying for years to do a documentary or something. Yeah. Any idea why he just, he, it was just, he wanted to keep that persona to himself. He didn't want to share that. Well, you know, I think for one thing, he was shy for another. He, I think he liked the mystique Mm. of, of, not very many people knowing about him. He liked all this. He kind of liked all the, nonsense and stories i think i mean he'd get pissed off my buddy in germany uh george george berkmeyer i i told you about um you know uh, there were several people in germany that kind of swiped his stuff and did weird things and made books on him that were unauthorized and oh, he, wow. hated, he hated that kind of stuff and and, <laughs> and so i i think i some of it was self-protective he just I, I don't think he wanted to i think i think he wanted to keep it simple i think i think he wanted to make stuff for people to make music and he didn't he really didn't he liked the notoriety but he didn't want to foster it if you know what i mean mm. I, I think he enjoyed he enjoyed being famous and you know people talking about him and stuff but he also kind of hated it too he was a reluctant, uh, a reluctant star. Kind of. <laughs> he was, he was funny that way. I mean, and, but, but he, he'd have a lot of fun. I mean, I think one time he, he was down in, uh, I wasn't with him at that time, but I think he went to a bar someplace where, uh, where Billy Gibbons was and Billy, I think Billy knew him, the Reverend knew him and saw him and talked to him and stuff. I mean, he, he enjoyed, he enjoyed, hanging out with musicians he told me you know from the very beginning he said you know i don't want to make i don't want to make stuff for the masses i want to i decided early on that i was going to make stuff for the best musicians in the world that's what i wanted to do and that's what he did and so i mean when i introduced larry thomas to him when when larry was the ceo of fender we were trying to we wanted to help alexander because at the time he could he could have used some, you know, mailbox money, right? 
he he was working really hard to just make amps or or mod amps and stuff to get to get money to pay he told me one day you know el rancho it takes 600 bucks a day <laughs> to keep it running i'm like oh jesus right yeah so yeah. we you know we tried to figure out a way to take one of his designs like uh rocktronics or you know one of those uh, one of those designs to modify a uh, a fender that we could make for him and sell and he could get some dough right no he he just no way i i took him on a tour of the factory one time and and he kept saying, well, you know, if you're there and you can check it out, maybe maybe it'll work out. And he just didn't want it. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of his of his technology, you know. Plus, yeah. he was he was such a perfectionist that I know that it would never be good enough, you know, unless he made it himself. So, oh, my God. Which he, I mean, he could have been a, a multimillionaire if he wanted to be. But he he really didn't want to be. He he wanted to do what he did, which is make exemplary amplifiers for the best musicians, the best guitarists in the world, and that's what he did. You know, when, Chris. When did it start? When did it start to turn into you know these Dumble amplifiers getting crazy, ridiculous prices? And do you know where if what Dumble first thought of that? What he thought of it? Yeah. Well, it pissed him off because most of those amps he sold for, like I said earlier, fifteen hundred bucks, two thousand bucks. They went up over the years, but you know, like I think Steve Cravato, he and I were talking, and he's he said, "Yeah, Dumble made this amp for me," and I think he ended up selling. I don't know for some, you know, twenty at the time it was twenty grand or something ridiculous, and it kind of bothered Alexander because he made that thing, you know, however long ago, and he only got X amount of money. And I'm, you know, especially at that time, I mean, uh, overdrive special is a very complicated amp and, and took a long time for him to build, you know, yeah. I mean, it would take months and months. Yeah. And, uh, and then he sold it for three grand and somebody got $40,000 for it. I'd be pissed off too. Yeah. Especially if I was Alexander, but I think that all kind of started, in the nineties when guys like uh mayor and all those people started snapping them up and, you know, using them for, you know, for retirement purposes or whatever. Yeah. And he, he never intended, and I'm talking for myself, but from my point of view, he never intended for that to happen. He made, he made really cool stuff for players that made really good music. And that's what he really cared about, you know? Yeah. Did he did he talk about the players much that he worked on, like like Stevie Ray Vaughan? I mean, Larry, yeah, Cowell, Robin. Ford. I have a good story. One time I was over visiting with him, and he had this. He had an amp. It was a steel strings singer, right? Yep. And he goes, hey, "This," <clears throat> and I looked inside and said, "Hey, Stevie, how you doing?" Bonnie Ray, and it was Stevie's steel string singer. Wow. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, really? And he goes, yeah. I, I was there and, you know, Bonnie was pretty amorous in those days. And she, she, you know, wrote a little note to Stevie inside of his, his steel string singer. It's like, fuck Alexander. I played through that thing too. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Wow. 
I, I there's not the kind of amp I could handle. You know, it's like, oh, holy shit, you know. Damn. I well that that Red House Purple Marshall was just an insane amp. I mean, he. It's hard to it's hard to fathom the kind of stuff that that Alexander had run through his his thing. You know, I mean, the artists. I remember when uh, when uh, Eric Clapton found out about him. That, uh, that I think that was about ten or twelve years ago, and and uh, you know had to make make some amps. The last the last ten or so years, I think he mainly uh, took took amps like Tweed Twins or Tweed Deluxes or things like that, and then did his thing to them. For artists like I know Kenny, Kenny Wayne has a couple of I think he has a deluxe or a pro or mm-hmm. he, made, yeah. he he made Tweedledees and he made all these variations of Fender circuits that were kind of gauged for the player and uh, rather than making his overdrives and stuff because I mean at the end he charged he charged whatever the going rate was for an overdrive somebody wanted one it was like sixty grand. You know, and don't talk to me until I finish. You know, that kind of <laughs> I don't want to hear from you, or otherwise, you know, wow. fuck it. Yeah, damn man. I but, tell you what, there's, I feel like there's going to be. I mean, there's there's a lot of amp companies and pedal companies, and they're all they're all dropping the Dumble name. Um, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I hate to see it, and. People use the the name Dumble as sort of a generic overdrive kind of sound, which is really it's so silly because it has nothing to do with what he did, you know. Yeah, a saturated sort of overdrive. The thing is, is his clean amps. He he worked on several amps for me, and they they're not one dimensional. They're they're very dynamic, and his clean amps. Gosh. You know, so they're so Bruce, you know, I mean, y- you play through one of those amps and they're just so responsive and so beautiful. They make you play better, you know? Right. Well, I mean, what I got was, of course, one of the mod amps you referred to. Yeah, like a Tweedledee or something uh, like that? Oh, no, it was, a. Uh, of course, he was very specific about having to have a clean vintage Fender to work on. Yeah. He liked that. And I got a uh, a really beautiful Vibralux. I found oh, two ten. Yeah, two tens. It was a green stamp, so it was like the January oh. of sixty six. Nice. And uh, and it sounded beautiful before I brought it to him. And then he, and then he took it. And even I said, "Man, man." dig this amp this is really fucking amazing and he heard me play it and he played it he played it too we both played it yeah and uh he goes wow yeah he says you sure you want me to do this <laughs> kind of like like kind yeah. of like, maybe you want to keep this one and go find another you know what I mean? yeah. find one that sounds shitty <laughs> and so i said no i'm here let's do this thing you know cool and Luckily, it had two channels, so mm-hmm. you know, he put a rock phonics in the first channel, even though he probably knew I'd never use it. Yeah. And he put the ultraphonics. Ultraphonics, yeah. 
in the in the vibrato channel, which yeah, it's amazing. Unfortunately for me, because we were in the music room and doing everything, he kind of it's it's a little underpowered, you know. I mean, I oh. I play aggressive and chordal. Oh, know? okay. And so it distorts too early for me. Ah, uh, gotcha. Uh, except for in the studio. A studio is beautiful. I yeah. mean, I love that thing. Uh, but when I get into the real world of playing a gig, breaks up too soon. It breaks up too early. And uh, yeah. but the breakup is beautiful. I bet. Not unmusical. It's just I can't hear all the notes in my chords. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so unfortunately, I it's not. It didn't become. I mean, I, I you know, in hindsight, I should have had <coughs> to do a pro reverb. You know. Yeah, some a little more high, higher power. I, that would then it would have been you know a thing. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, I've used it on numerous amp uh, recording dates. Yeah. Know, and uh, and. And it will, of course, be a valuable amp going forward for me. You know? Of course. And, and, it, and it will be played by other people, if not me, and, and make beautiful music in the world because it's, yeah. it's genius. I mean, the beautiful thing, he like made me say, you know, us jazz guys, we're not nuts about really a lot of high end in our time. Right. right. And, and I, I'm, I, for a jazz player, am generally more high end than the average guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I like... I believe the guitar has high end in it. There's no reason not to play it. It's all the yep. hands. You don't need yep. to make it fat by making it muffled. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and um, when I first auditioned the amp the day I got it, he plugged me in and he turned the treble to about eight. Wow. So I have never had the treble on a Fender amp above five. Yeah. My Fender amps. None of them they, get, they get pretty brilliant. I've never, but that's like ice pick territory. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. And it was really bright. Mm hmm But it was sweet. Yeah. And it was yeah. fat. And I was like going, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to push this knob that far, but it's really nice to know. But it sounds good. Yeah. yeah nice to know that it doesn't go to that ugly, hurt your ears yeah. place. Well, he was able to find a way to make things musical and 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 pleasing and the harmonic content is so complex and right. and lovely you know i mean he made a rocktronics i i had a band master uh that that he uh 65 band master and he made a rocktronics on it and just the sweetest sounding amp i mean any volume no matter what you did with it it just sounded it's it sounds so good it's such a good amp he just knew how to bring out all the harmonics and musical overtones in an amplifier to to make it really spectacular he just knew how to do it you know yeah yeah i heard steve i heard that there was a few guys that obviously tried to get dumbles directly through dumble but he just refused. Uh, I think John Mayer was probably one of them. Oh, he he fucking hated John Mayer. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. And and I used to tell people, you know, tell my friends who, who knew Alexander, who were going to go over there, whatever. I said, whatever you do, do not mention John Mayer. Because John, you know, and it's funny too, because I, I uh, started working with John in the early 2000s, 
doing stuff at Fender. And I, I worked with him for his signature guitar in the factory. And I made a bunch of guitars for him. He owns like 10 or 12 guitars I've made. And, and we were pretty good friends, you know, uh, and he can be a really nice guy, but he called up Alexander. He bought a overdrive and wanted to take it on tour. And he called Alexander up and said, Hey man, you know, I got this amp. I need you to fix it. You know, when can you get it done for me? And Alexander said, you know, I don't make those anymore. I don't think I can help you. He just, just didn't like his attitude. He, he, you know, he said, you know, sorry. I mean, he, I'm sure he was polite about it, right? but he fucking hated John Mayer. And, and, and one time John called me and said, Hey man, I, I really, I, I, you know, I, Alexander helped me tweak a, a, a tweed deluxe that I gave to, to, uh, John, you know, cause John and I were real close for a while. This was in the early two thousands. And I gave this, this, uh, <coughs> it was a, um, blackface deluxe, you know, reissue that I kind of rebuilt and Alexander, I brought Alexander. He said, Oh, do this, do that. I did it. And it was a great amp. And I gave it to, I gave it to John and, and John uses it recording and stuff. But so John called me and said, you know, I really need, I need Alexander to help me out. And I said, well, I've got a couple amps that I could loan you if you want to use them to record. And he was like, he was, he, he was uh, offended. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you to loan me any amps or whatever. And I said, oh, okay, whatever. You know. Uh, so Alexander did not like John. And so he wouldn't do anything for him. He wouldn't talk to him. It was best not to mention his name around Alexander because just he just didn't like him. He thought he was a dick, you know. So yep. Wow. Which, and I, I, I guess I had. Be- <laughs> I know. I, 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 got, I got a similar story uh, <laughs> about Joe Bonamassa, who oh, also same deal. <laughs> who also wanted a Dumble amp really bad, right? Yeah. And uh, unbeknownst to Joe. Um, Alexander was, you know, just showed up at, at, at Guitar Center to play some of the new Fender amps, the new amps, you know, he's just checking it out. Yeah, and it's just it's Alexander, you know, I mean, yeah. let's face it, he's kind of an old, aging, hippie dude, kind of overweight yeah. with a band, you know, it's I a mean, bandana and a wig hat. Let's face it, Alexander's playing is very specific. It's, I mean, I call him an e-jammer. You know, he jams an E and he plays really cool stuff, but it's just kind of really specific. It's a one, you know, it's a very, it's it's his thing, you know, really cool grooves, you know. He he played so that he could hear what he wanted to hear. Right, right. And, you know, it was just kind of E jamming, I always called it, because it was always an E, you know, da, 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 da. And he's sitting there just trying amps, minding his own business, right? And some guy comes into the, amp trial room <laughs> with an entourage and is acting like a big fucking star and just sort yeah. of almost you know, doesn't physically push Alexander out of the way, but just sort of dominates the room and makes it so Alexander can't do what he wants to do, which is just hear kind of some of the new stuff and see what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, just out of interest or whatever. And yep. Joe was such a douche. And his people were even bigger douches 
that he knew who he was, and he and Alexander just put the guitar down and walked out and left. And then later, Joe contacts him to like build him an amp, and it's like I'm not gonna fucking make an amp for you, right, right, right. And um, <laughs> and, and that's how I ended up. And actually, as far as I know, and I don't know, if everybody can. I believe that Joe got his Steve's amp. Yeah, that's what I heard. And um, as well as I know, Steve, he's Steve has never said that to me, so I don't know. It's Steve Trovato. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is um, that is what I believe happened. And uh, well, you know, you know, it's just a matter of like Alexander would have, you know, gone out of his way to keep him from getting one. You know, I mean, and it's just like, yeah, you know, which is kind of unrealistic because once you sell an amp to somebody, it's it's gone. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's like a car. What you can't so you can't sell that car to this person. What what? It's my car now. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as a builder for Fender, I, you know, I worked for, I, I was a builder at Fender and did a bunch of stuff for 20 years at Fender. And I learned early on that, you know, Fender's going to make their money. Other people reselling it are going to make their money. And, and I'm not going to make that money, right? I, I <laughs> you know, I built a guitar. I designed something. I did this. I did that. You know, it just kind of is what it is. And, and I... I stopped the problem. The problem I think for Alexander was that he never stopped caring about that. I mean, it, it bothered him. It bothered him that his genius and that his in industriousness and that his, what he did for so long, I mean, his whole life, uh, other people made money from he, he didn't like that. And I, I, yeah. I'm a lot more practical and I realize, you know, shit, I can't control once I do it. You know, I work for Fender. Anything I think it of, intellectual property. It's also that too. It was like an intellectual property argument. You know that one could. Yeah, you know. I mean, when when uh, Larry Carlton brings his amp in to get it fixed on the road to a guy in Colorado, and then the guy figures yeah. out what Alexander did and decides to build an amp company around it, or John yeah. Mayer does the same. With two rock, yeah. Okay, you mentioned the name, so that's what. <laughs> and, and you know, when that happens, it's like you got to feel like there's a violation, but at the same time, you can't patent that shit. You can't. You can't. And you know, so it's like you know, and, yep. and 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 Alexander before Fender had other people wanting to go into business with him to try and create a factory, sort of, so that rather than people buying expensive stuff from copiers that could buy from him yeah. and, and he never wanted to do that he so did not he set the table for that eventuality he did he did, he did. and you know <laughs> he was he was a very stubborn guy <laughs> let's yeah. put it very very stubborn and he his view of things was his view of things and kind of the way it was but but you know we all have different views of that stuff. And I, would, I, I learned early on that if I design something and I'm working for somebody else, well, obviously it belongs to them. Mm. And, I, you know, they're going to, Fender made way more money from stuff I did than I did. But you know what? Working for Fender for 20 years, put my kid through college, bought me several houses. I have nothing to complain about, you know? It's, it's all relative. And uh, yeah. Alex 
Hitler, though, was was he was a um, he's not a relativist. <laughs> he, he was a very he was like a uh, what's the word for that political thing? Which is uh, a libertarian. He was right. he you know he he wanted to be completely independent. He didn't want to have anything to do with the government. He wanted didn't want to have anything to do with anything he didn't want to have anything to do right, with. But he also didn't want people to take his shit and he, no, he and didn't and he didn't do anything to protect himself. He tried. I mean, you yeah. can't you can't copyright or 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 get rights on a circuit though. Right. He could have protected himself simply by making the stuff available in a way that the copycats couldn't have done it. Yes, he could have. Well, he could have. He yeah, he could have made it a a company and and had it all set up so that if if other people used it, they couldn't because well, like Fender did, right? I mean, you know, like any other company did, but that wasn't his way. He was a no. And you got to admire that. My, my, you know, as we close here, first of all, I would like to. Uh, Big time offer you a, a return visit where we talk about you and not Alexander. Oh, that'd be fun. Would yeah, that be an interesting I mean, time? You know, <laughs> right now, this is our sixth year and we're kind of dedicating this first part to Dumble and trying to paint a picture with all the people that knew him. And if you can get us to Drew, I think that would be really helpful to paint a picture. I'll ask Drew if he's comfortable. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let him know. Because you know how we are now, so you can tell yeah. us, like we we oh. will have Robin, we have me, we yeah. have uh, uh, Steve Trivato was on Rich Richard McDonald, who I'm sure you know very well. I know Rich really well. He's yeah, such- you know. So we 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 we're, we're really what we're trying to do for the world is you know Alexander once told me he would come on the show. Oh, really? And 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 I kind of <laughs> knew he was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and basically, all my friends in the family who know Alexander told me it's never going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I still had this no. hope that it would, but in, in right now, what we're trying <laughs> to do is is kind of make the episode that would have happened had he been there. That would have be so cool. have everybody talk about him, and then the world can know what he was about from putting all our stories together. You know. Well, you know, for me, for me, I mean, all the cool amp stuff, all the cool guitar stuff, all of that stuff is, was really fun. But for me, the most important thing was that I got to know such a unusual and, and smart and interesting and funny and, and uh, respectful person. He was, he was a, he was one of a kind. He was like old school, um, uh, he was a gentleman. He was a real gentleman, <laughs> you know. And you don't meet too many people like that these days. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Did he, he, Chris? Did he have any family? Yeah, I, he, we talked a little bit about his brother. He had a sister who passed away. I think he has a. I think he has a niece. Mm-hmm. He had a couple brothers and a sister or two. He didn't talk much about his Bakersfield days, you know, he, for whatever, he did tell me about some of his stuff and with Buffy St. Marie and, uh, 
he told me one really good story where he, he was, he, he played bass with uh, Jimmy Webb, you know, uh, they were doing uh, demos back in the early mid sixties, I guess with Jimmy Webb. And uh, they were doing some kind of demo of one of Jimmy's songs and, and Glenn Campbell came in with a strat and a, uh, a tweed, uh, a tweed champ and said, Hey man, I'll play anything you want for 10 bucks. <laughs> this was like in 63 or four or something. <laughs> and, and I don't know, if, I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe Glenn played something, but he, he was around in those times with all those guys back then, you know, and uh, some of those stories he told were just so precious. I mean, really interesting. You know, he had some really interesting um, experiences back then, you know, and, he was one of kind. What a what a great guy! I, I miss him so much. You know, just you know, it's funny because uh, we didn't talk much the last year or so because of all the stuff that was going on for him and you know COVID and all that. But but when I found out he he passed away, it's just like oh, I just miss him being on the earth. You know, I just miss him physically present somewhere where I knew he was around and I could get in touch with him if I had to, or he could call me, you know, and that's, that's the hardest part for me is this, my buddy's not here physically, you know, but I got to tell you, I've had over the last week, I've had two or three dreams with him in it where wow. one, he, he called me up and he said, Hey man, uh, I'm doing this amp thing for somebody and uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'll talk to you later. And after he hung up, I thought, wait a minute, he, he's dead. He just died. This is in my dream. And I realized, oh, I'm dreaming. And he, he called me. And then in another one, <coughs> I was, we were in his garage in Sunland and he was making a, he was working on a four wheeler or some kind of ridiculous, you know, for, for, you know, uh, ATV thing or something. And we're, we're, I said, man, that looks kind of comfortable. And he said, not. Nah, feels like shit <laughs> it's just really hard to drive on you know and it's like what you know i have these weird dreams with alexander showing up you know but man, maybe he's sending was, you messages man he's he's letting you know he's still around i think he is and i think he's having a good time wherever he is i'm i'm, I'm guessing he's not he's not feeling you know because he all the time i knew him he always had problems with environmental stuff you know he he had lots of allergies and he i think he he was diabetic and he he'd have seizures he had all kinds of health problems the whole time i knew him you know but he just kind of soldiered through wow and you know he was a big guy and so he had his joints gave him problems and and he had a harder time drew told me that he was he had a hard time moving around towards the end because uh, his joints were just given out and stuff. So, so I, I really feel like, you know, he's in a better place. He's, he's no longer feeling all the ill effects of, of the physical stuff and, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he is talking to me in my dreams or I'm talking to myself about him. I don't know. Well, man, but, I guess, uh, I gotta say, man, thank you so much for taking the time, and I'm sorry for your loss because it's just 
you Thank know, you. the the world, it's an ant builder, but you it was obviously a good mate, and uh, and that's oh, another he was. again, man. One so, of my best friends, yeah, ever. He was. I loved that guy so much. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. I pr- I appreciate you giving me condolences. Uh, it's it's been a tough week. You know, at first it was like, oh, you know, gosh, it's yeah. not a surprise, but it's a shock. Yeah. But but it, as it sunk in, I just realized I missed my buddy. You know. Well, it sounds like we all miss a lot. <laughs> the world missed out on knowing this guy a lot more, which is a shame. Yeah. But it sounds like. You know what? He lived the way he wanted to live, which is he did. Uh, and the people incredible. he loved, yeah, he loved a lot of people, and we loved him, and that's that's the most important thing, you know. I mean, so many day. so many people are talking about him on the internet and stuff, and sharing great stories, and um, and they all the common thread is, man, he was just a big sweetheart. He was. He was like a kid. He was like a he was like an eight or nine year old, you know that that had had an unlimited view of the universe and was just excited about everything. He'd, he'd be like a little kid, you know. I'm sure you saw that, didn't you, Bruce? Yes, when, totally, totally. You're playing music or you're doing something, and he just he would just beam. He loved it. He would just, I mean, you'd play something for him, and he'd go, whoa, you know, and then he'd, and then he'd, and then he'd tell you something about what you did that you didn't even hear yourself. And, I mean, yep. it was just like. Yep. Yeah, what a what a human! What a you know, I mean, we're so lucky, and and of course, it's no surprise that he created a whole world around his. I mean, imagine how different the world would be without him. You know, oh. having done that that desire to find the to yep. refine the possibilities of the guitar amplifier relationship. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it, there's entire industry right now based on what he created and and yet deep oh, true. part of it it was all based on his love of the music yep. and his graciousness and his generosity yep and his brilliance yep yep he was one of a kind and uh i i hope i hope the world learns more about him from from all of us talking about it because you know that's what this many, is about that that's why people, we're doing this that's so good because not that many people knew him as a person, right? He was just some dude that made these ridiculously expensive amps. And- right. now, now, now everybody relates to him as expensive. And of course, yeah. you know, let's face it, how many Les Paul bursts did they make? About 600, you know? Well, you, yeah. How many made it this far? That yep. is why they're expensive. The, the, the Dumble amps are expensive. Besides yeah. the fact that they're great, there aren't many of them. There aren't very many of them. Yeah. And everybody wants one. Yeah. You yep. know? Sorry. You know, Chris, I mean. Chris, do you remember yeah. anything? Do you remember him being overly proud of one event or someone that he built an app for or something in his life that he was all he'd always talk about or mention? I'm trying to think. Was there any particular one? Well, he had a real he he had a very soft heart for robin you know he and robin were very very close uh and so i think the stuff he did for robin probably was some of his favorite stuff but you know i don't really know i think anything he was working on in the moment was his most that's what he was into you know and even if it was for somebody that nobody knew he he always tried to make the best thing that he could and he was just 
that was really important to him to to do the best he could on every amp that he worked on. You know, I would I would have loved to heard the stories of him and Stevie Ray. Oh, <laughs> me too. Well, yeah. I, I I think from what I hear, uh, Stevie found out about him through Jackson's amp, right? I I, I think Jackson had a, a overdrive special or, or one of one of Dumble's amps in the studio when Stevie went in there to record his first album. And that's how he found out about, about it. But, uh, he, Wait. you know, I don't remember Alexander didn't talk a whole lot about Stevie a little bit, you know, but not a lot. Yeah. But, Oh no. But, and this is something that I really loved about him. You know, I mean, here's my, I'm going to go into me and not talk about him, but my big goal, cool. My big complaint is like, how many times do I go into the studio or I go into a mixing session, right? And and the engineer decides to start talking about, well, yesterday Eric Clapton was here or da 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 was here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like it just sort of like fuck makes you. it feel weird. You know, yeah. it's like, oh fuck yeah, my shit's lame, and you know, I ain't no big star, so yeah, we can do a shitty job and. The Grammys won't notice me, and nobody's going. You know, I mean, yeah, just have this way of like slapping you. It's like a dick slap, you know. Cox, yeah. bam, you know. It's like, oh well, I guess nothing's happening tonight, you know. And um, and Dumble was, was totally like that. not that. He was like, this project is the thing. Just kind of like all yep. of us who know who, who play gigs, when you get on the bandstand. It wasn't about last night, and it wasn't about the night before, and it's not about tomorrow night. No, it's about no, right tonight. now. And who That's you right. got is who you're going to play with, and it's our job to make this happen. Yep. And and really, almost more than anybody I can think of who dealt with stars, celebrities, you know, on a consistent basis, Alexander typifies the way people should be. Yep. with everybody they're with. I totally agree. You know, he, it didn't matter who you were, if you were there with him, and I, I've seen this many times because I, I brought people over to meet him and I was there with other people, and blah, 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 blah. But he put all of his attention on you when you were there. He, you, you had all of his attention, and it didn't matter if you were Kenny Wayne Shepherd or if you were Chris Fleming or if you were, you know, Larry Thomas or, or if you were whoever it was. He, he was right there with you, and it didn't matter. You know what mattered was that you were there and you were doing stuff with him, and and he was so respectful of every person that I ever was there with him. You know, he was. He was he was a very very respectful person, which which is kind of amazing in these days, right? We don't have, you know, there ain't a lot of respect I mean, out there. <laughs> it, it comes down to integrity. Yeah, he was there, you know, with whoever he was with, and there were times I almost got the felt feeling like you know he had these pictures of Carlos and all these people on his wall. Yeah, he would he would almost turn them around. Yeah, people were no. there. So that, you know, that there wasn't sort of, you know, I'm not, a, yeah. this, we're here to do one thing, make yep. good sound. We're not here. You and me here together. Yeah. Right, right. That's and, what it was. 
It was always like that with him. And yeah. That's the reality of the music, and it will always be. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we can only be like this much like him, we'll be better off for it. Uh, well, I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate that I got to spend so much time with him. I mean, for 10 or 12 years, 13 years. I, I mean, I was there a lot. I spent hours and hours and weeks and weeks with him, and it was so cool. He was so sweet. He was so nice to my family. He was so nice to me and to my friends. And he was just, he was a very warm, loving, awesome guy. Uh, but he was, he was a fucking genius. He was. <laughs> I like that's That should be the title. He was very, very loving guy. Genius. He's a fucking genius. He was a fucking genius. Well, he was. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much. Yeah, My pleasure. This is, this and, is and, and, and we'll get you back on real soon when we're through oh, with good. this thing. And we'll have you talk about Chris, you know, oh, not good. so much Alexander, okay? Yeah, I'd okay. love to hear that story. Thank you, man. And Thanks for thank you. you. So fun. So fun. I, I appreciate everything, you guys. And, and thanks for doing this for Alexander. It's so cool. Well, we... Uh, we're getting we're getting as close as we can to this guy. So um good. Chris, thanks, man. Obviously, he thought a lot of you too to spend so much time with you. And he you're obviously a great bloke too. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you. Thanks we'll you. See you soon. We'll see you soon. Yeah, man. I want to hear your story for sure. So uh thanks. Uh, I appreciate scratch, it. Man. Thank you. The surface. Good night. Hey, good night. Stay in touch. Bye. Bye. Take care.